Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 17 of the Punk Till I Die podcast. And uh, I'm one of your hosts, Tom, and uh, somewhere out there is Neil. What is this, Neil? Is this our uh, Sexy and 17 episode? To steal a line from your favorite, the Straight Cats? Dude, it's, it's getting kind of sick. Last week, what was it, Sweet 16 or Barely barely Legal or some shit? What's, what, what are you Almost doing, legal. man? Yes. What are you doing? Especially, sure well, reach, I guess reach adulthood here soon. I guess it goes back to the whole Gary Glitter thing we had going on last week, right? <laughs> <I guess. laughs> so, on this very special edition oh, of oh, Punk oh, Till I Die, hey, wherever, whatever you want to do, yes. Yeah. So, why, why is this? So, why is number seventeen special, Neil? I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it over to you and let you, let you hand us once again. Wait, one, one quick plug before we start. Of course, you can find us at. Punk Till I Die podcast on Facebook and Punk Till I Die 77 at gmail.com with any hateful mail you may want to throw at us. But okay, now at this point, I'm going to throw it over to Neil because we have uh, something special going on today. So yep. take it away, Neil. Okay. On this very special edition of Punk Till I Die, um, I would like to welcome Mr. Rick Sims. Say hello, Rick. Hello. <laughs> He sounds thrilled. Hey, Rick, how are you? <laughs> yeah, speaking of Gary Glitter, I'd like to introduce Rick Sims. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you used he to was wear... trying to be more subtle than that, but yes. You used to wear a boa sometimes. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm, I didn't molest young women. <laughs> wow, this show, this show <laughs> hit the dirt immediately. Amazing. All right, well... Off to a great start, everybody. <laughs> to those who Do you don't... Have edit- yeah. I hope you have made a no, because... dude, it's okay. all go- it's all going live, baby. Um, for the for those who don't know, for those who don't know, Rick Sims was the head honcho of amazing Illinois band The Digits, and then um, he played with the Super Suckers, and then he was also in the Gaza Strippers, amongst other things. So, um, so yeah, so I think we're going to mainly be talking about the Digits, but uh, yeah, I mean. I know Tom likes the super suckers and stuff, so I assume we'll be talking some super suckers and Gaza strippers as well. So, anyway, welcome, Rick. I'm glad I just, to. I just discovered the Gaza strippers as we were doing our little bit of half-ass research for this episode, and I got to say, I really feel like I missed the boat on that. So, anyway, I hope maybe we can get into all that stuff too. So, yeah, definitely. You did, Tom. You missed the boat, dude. I did because that was that was what late nineties, right? Boat. That yeah. was late nineties. Yeah, late ninety. No, actually, mid. Yeah, late nineties, mid aughts, something like that. Okay. In my defense, I always say that's kind of my lost decade because, like, my first child was born in ninety nine, and I only had like a toe left in the scene because I was so busy with you know diapers and little kids and stuff. Now my kids are older, I can sort of you know embrace what's left of the scene with my old decrepit self and, and old me. decrepit. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's old decrepit English guy. Yeah. All right. So I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, I'll tell you what, Rick. Let's let's go back to the in the wayback machine. So, um, people think you're from Champagne, but you're not originally, right? You and the rest of the band were originally from a small town, so even smaller town than Champagne, correct? Yeah, we're from uh, Sull- Sullivan, Illinois, is where it was formed. Uh, actually, a farm outside of Sullivan, Illinois, so it was even smaller than a small town. So Sullivan, I I, I thought you were from Mattoon for some reason. Well, we made the move up to the big city of Mattoon Holy after <laughs> a few, after Which a couple what, like years. Three, three churches and a blinking yellow light, or what well, was that, Mattoon? That would be Sullivan. Mattoon actually is located on the interstate. It has an exit off the interstate. Um, it has uh, a high school. And it, it was about a town of, like, what, 
20,000 people. Hmm. Sullivan oh, okay. was like 5,000 people. Hmm. See what I mean? It's like, you know, the metropolis. It was like one step at one step at a time. Yeah. yeah. So so is that where you met Doug and stuff? Doug being the bass player. Yeah, I met him at Lakeland Community College, which was the community college of Mattoon, Illinois. Okay. So you so <laughs> and that's when and that's when the so the band formed somewhere when you were all in Lakeland, right? Yeah, but we went over we we would practice in Sullivan, we'd drive over to Sullivan because that's where the chicken shed was. That was our pad and that was my mom's house and uh I can't remember if I was still living with her. Me and my brother were still living with her at the time. But anyway, the chicken shed is the that's where, you know, the Mexican death horse lived. We'd have to like jump the fence, run as fast as we could to the chicken shed so the death horse didn't attack us. No. And then I was at how'd you do that with like your amps? No, they had them <laughs> well, set up there. Everything was we set up. Distracted. Yeah. Uh, One person would run. Yeah, well, we were set up. We didn't have to set up every single time. But sure. when we did have to bring our amps in, someone would distract the horse at the other end, act like it was going in. You know, that person would act like they were going into the pasture. And they would, they, he would run over there, and then we would quickly throw our amps and stuff over the fence, <laughs> run towards the chicken shed, and throw our stuff in there. And so Tom, it was, uh, he, he is not joking about that, because he probably doesn't remember this, but I actually did come down. Doug actually brought me down to Sullivan <laughs> one time, and I did actually see you guys practice in the chicken shed. And, um, and that horse was mental. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> It's such a universal experience for the young person who doesn't have their own home yet, like looking for a practice space. Because I just, I'm part of me is laughing because I can relate to these, these stories of these hellish. Well, this this spaces. this was a this was just a shed in the middle of a field. No shit. Well, I had mean, electricity. Well, yeah. How was that, Rick? How 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 did you get electric you know, well, out there? Well, it was already like I said, it was a chicken shed, so I think they needed to do something with lights the chickens out there and needed yeah lights. So there was uh, electricity of some sort out there. <laughs> Um, and it had, but the winters were a little rough cause we had to have a wood burning stove. And, uh, so it was, um, used less in the winter, but, um, it was great. You know, I actually ended up like making a little studio out there. I think we used it like two times or something, but, uh, you know, it was a great place to do all courts, sorts of nefarious stuff, you know, like uh, have the ladies over party. <laughs> oh, yeah. And all in, that the, good in stuff. the chicken shed. That and, would be know. great. Yeah. I thought you were going to It was Sexy. literally like wood shedding, you know, where you just practice and practice and practice. They call that wood shedding, right? You were literally like in a shed just practicing. Yeah. Yeah. We were in a shed, but, you know, it did have insulation. I put in insulation after a while. So, you know, we kind of, I kind of renovated it a little bit, but uh, not, not really. Not too much to where I wouldn't be like still a piece of crap. So I can so, still claim that it was an a strangely awful place. So for all those, <laughs> for all those, for all those people that don't know, the digits were a three piece. Um, so we got Rick on guitar and lead vocals. There was his his brother Brad on drums, and we had good old Doug Evans on bass. And um, super powerful. Now, um, so you'd moved from Sullivan to Mattoon, and then at some point, what eighty four ish. Did you move up to Champaign, or did you just come up to Champaign a lot to play? Um, well, I can't remember. I think we were uh, we were definitely playing in Champaign before I moved up there, which is why I moved up there, because I ended up meeting a bunch of people, you know, Randy Golick and yep. all those folks at the... Shitty Guy House. Uh, Tin Shitty Guy House. And um, I think what happened was I separated from my wife and ended up moving onto their couch. I think... <laughs> Doug made the first 
trek up there. Yeah. Ended up separating from his wife and moved up to to the shitty guy house. Crashed on the couch. Then he graduated. This was the official name, or this was the unofficial name of this house. It was pretty much the official name. It was the shitty the guy house. Yeah, yeah that, that was the only way. If you referred to the Ten Shitty Guy House, everybody knew what you were talking about. Yeah, and they know who you were talking about and what you were talking about. <laughs> and um, so then, then um, so I think it was like eighty four, something like that. Probably eighty five, because I know I was still living in Champ, not in Champagne. I was living in Mattoon. I remember our fizz job came out in eighty five because I had all the records stacked up in my Mattoon apartment and uh, nowhere to nowhere to go with them not knowing what to do with them wow i got 500 records okay great now what yeah so <laughs> so um you what you, you put out a couple of demo tapes and stuff obviously first and then um then fizz job the first album came out in 85 and that was on what was that on bank bam bam records or something like that yeah that was my that was my front room in mattoon oh that's bam what it was oh okay so yeah. it was self-produced okay yes yeah it was uh you know if you it sounded it sounded official, so you know, wow, it's a record label, Bam Bam Records. Wow, they're on a record label. Oh, that's they must be legit. You know, it's just all a ruse. But I want to go back to these tape demos that you called it so disparagingly. <laughs> well, Dispar- <laughs> not disparagingly, <laughs> mate. What? These were actual releases that we released. You know, um, actually, they got reviewed by Maximum Rock and Roll. We had covers for these cassettes and everything. So it wasn't just a demo. We had <clears throat> three actual cassette releases. Durga, Durga, Durga was the first one. Then uh, the second one was uh, Whoop My Head. And then Signifies My Goatee was the third one. And I, have, all... and I have the last two, by the way. I still have them. Uh, I'm sure they're worth lots of money on Discogs. I'm going on Discogs right now to see if we can make some money on those, Neil. Yeah. Priceless, I think, is the word you want to use. Priceless. Yeah. Priceless. Um, <laughs> irreplaceable. I actually, um, you know you know what, Rick? I think that's actually the first time I saw you, is you were posting up flyers around Record Swap and, uh, on Green Street in Champaign, and I saw you guys posting flyers and wondering what the hell you were doing. So, there you go. I think that yeah, was for... Man. Trying yeah, trying to break in. Yeah. Trying to break the Champagne scene, man. In the you big know. city. Like, wow. Yeah, the big <laughs> College city. College town. Yep. Yeah. It was, uh, it was crazy, man. It was, uh, uh, that's where it was all, that's where it was all happening. I mean, you, you know, it, it's funny you talk about champagne, like, uh, ha, 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 champagne, but no, it, it was awesome. There was I actually it. like some, some music going on there. It was like, a it was like a, a Mecca. It was like a, a wonderful place to go. It, I mean, come on. I was in Mattoon. You go to champagne. You're like, oh my God. Right. I was in, I was in, I was actually in Mattoon twice, I think, um, with Doug, and so yeah, Champagne was definitely. I could see why you guys would would want to come up there. And we did actually have some great, great bands and some great shows in Champagne. I, I have to admit, like everybody played Champagne, Champagne Havana. You will die. Yeah, I well, mean, it, and it, it it caused a young Neil to abandon his you know childhood home and move across the ocean. Because that is there very. Was, there must have been something true. alluring about it. That is true. I think it was seeing SNFU with about five other people in Texano Hosehead. I think that, <laughs> that was, was it. it huh? was. Yeah. Texacana, yeah. Was it really? I thought it was probably just his girlfriend. Well, that too, of course. <laughs> SNF, SNFU is a powerful live show. I agree. I didn't see them until the nineties, and they were still great. So, yeah, they played. They played. Uh, what Rick? What bar was that? That was like, it was on Green Street, and it was like over the White Hen. Um, yeah, like, that was Tritos. 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 Yeah. Or Trinos. 
It's either Trino or Trito. Yeah, Trinos was the one in Urbana, so it was Tritos. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw SNFU there with Texan the Horseheads with like 15 people. It's crazy. Well, lots of great shows back then, including the Digits. The Digits always yeah. put on an awesome live show. I mean, that's what you guys were calling me. Yeah, no, you did. You really did. Um, so, Fizz Job 85, 86, right? The first album. Yeah, I think so. And then, so were you guys touring then, or were you just playing like locally and playing out of town and stuff like that, but no, not real tours and stuff? Well, when Fizz Job came out, okay, this is how it happened. We, we like I said, we had all these records in my living room. We're like, what the hell? do we do with these records now that we've made a record? So me and my buddy Dave Landis, who's uh, a DJ at WLKL, the, like I said, the, college, the community college in Mattoon, um, he had gotten a hold of all these records. He got a hold of Maximum Rock and Roll. So he was like kind of our in into like this other world. And uh, he suggested or we decided to call Steve Albini and go, hey, Steve, Boo. we've got all these records. <laughs> Steve, we, we've got all these records. What do we do with these records? And he said, send them out to all these radio stations. Get a rock pool magazine, send them out to all, all these radio stations. Hmm. So we did. And come to find out, we got a few playlists back of like, wow, this radio station and so-and-so is playing our record. And then we find out that there's four, like, four different places in San Francisco that are playing our record. And we're like, okay, we must go tour San Francisco. So we ended up going to San Francisco on tour in our Buick, in my Buick. And, um, Shows along the way or just drive out no, there? No, just drove out there Damn. and all the way and then played like, I don't know, maybe a week's worth of shows. Uh, we I think we had some guy in like junior high school that was our booking agent, Josh. Gary, Gary Glitter. Here we go again. Can't stop. <laughs> hey man you know um it's rock and roll that's what we do um and you know so that was that was the first tour that was the fizz job tour and i think that was the only tour until hey jutester okay it was wonderful well that's good that's good i'm glad you have fun no but you used to play with any money or was it like was it financially viable to drive out to san francisco do a week of shows or was it pretty much just you know like the record itself coming out of your pocket um, I don't remember uh, the financial transactions that went down. It's been a while, but I, it wasn't like we were going out there because the the money was good. Yeah, um, to get to play. Sure. Yeah, we were what twenty two years old. We didn't care about we didn't care about anything well, other than like, can we turn our amp on and play a song, you know, or whatever, or you know, it was like, wow, yeah. What? Yeah. Uh, you know, and so we weren't. We also, you know, I'm I'm crashing for free on these dudes at these dudes' house or or whatever. I'm, I'm working part time at Jewel in the frozen food section. I, I don't need to make money. I need to have fun. I need yeah. to blow some shit up and um, <laughs> show everybody how great I am at playing rock and roll. That's all. That was way more important than making some dough. And yeah, we went out there on a shoestring for sure. Hmm. Well, that's pretty you, amazing. You financed your own record, I assume. The first record you you guys financed it. Yeah, I think it cost like five hundred. Well, it cost five hundred dollars to record, and probably about that much, or maybe a little more, to actually get back finished product. So thousand dollars to get five hundred records. So it was fi- around yeah, five hundred. That's, that's did- crazy. 
was it yeah. was it yeah. repressed or anything like that or was it just a run of 500 what's that was the was the album repressed at any time or was it just a run of 500 uh it was all it was reissued by touch and go okay so and, but but the original run on bam bam is only 500 yeah yeah wow if you, see, got, if you got that record i do yeah you're a mil- you're a freaking a mil- i'm a, I'm fucking a millionaire. yeah i think i looked it up today you're 100 air neil i'm i'm a 40 dollar air i think there you go <laughs> but, but you, you know what wish. let's get let's get to the second album so at some point you guys were signed by touch and go correct yes that was after um after actually after we recorded that the record we recorded the whole record again on our dime or no steve albini paid for it we, he was going to put it out on a ruthless he was going to put it out on his label ruthless records mm-hmm. and then we made the record he paid paid the dough to have you know ian um burgess Bur- ian burgess he, yeah he was a producer of the effigies uh mm. know, big, big black naked ray gun and we we just had to work with him because we just idolized all these like Chicago sure. punk bands and um, so we worked with him. He did it, and uh, we so we we were going to put it out ourselves or we, Steve was going to do it. He said, "Oh, this is you know this is too good. This this should be put out by a real record label, not my stupid fly by night ruthless records." And he played it for people at Touch and Go. Uh, like Thanksgiving, we played the cassette, and they were like, "Who the hell is this?" Yada yada yada. Wow, we really like it, and so on. And the rest is history. But um, we were actually they, the fizz job was actually turned down by Touch and Go the first time around. So this was mm. like a long, a long sought sought out victory that we finally achieved. Yeah, and so this so, is the so album, this, is your... the, this is the second album, Hey Judester, which eventually came out on Touch and Go in '88. So yeah. who was who was your content? Who was the main? Was was the guy from the Necros running Touch and Go at that point? Oh yeah, Corey okay. was the only one I've ever known to, to run. Corey's the only him, okay. Him and his him and his wife Lisa, okay, were freaking awesome. It was, okay, yeah, the, well, that was the reason, great. The, the reason I ask you, well, so I'm from Michigan, right? I live in the right. Grand Rap- I live in the Grand Rapids area. I'm like an hour away from the great Tesco V has moved back to the area. Really? So I used to see him around at shows, but I know he was the founder of that band, uh, that label. But I know eventually they it just it wasn't really profitable when they were younger. So he kind of the guy from Necros took it over, Corey, and then that the rest is history. And he obviously built it into something in the mid '90s. You know that label was pretty potent. Yeah, man. They had, Impotent. Like, you know... <laughs> <laughs> ah, see what I did there? Yes. That was good, right? That's yes. great. <laughs> thank you, thank you. A little uh, geriatric humor for you, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, it, but no, okay. I was just curious. I figured that was the case because I, I, the he's time frame. He's still doing that label, yeah. And like I, you know, he's still doing that label to this day. Yeah, I mean, it's a little. I mean, if they reissued landscape. the Necros, if they reissued the Necros records, they could make hundreds of dollars. I'm telling you, maybe. I, t- I, I, I tell you what, Tom goes on about this every week. I wish someone would just damn the reissue these Necros albums. Someone, the please. Necros please, somebody the reissue hey, them. Just get Corey on here, guys. Just you, just have Corey and Tom and. I think he's the one holding it up, honestly, but I'm not for sure. I never did get a straight answer out of, because I know some of the like players on the sidelines, but I don't know the main, I don't know. Anyway, I, I want those Necros records repressed. I will not die until that happens. All right. Well, there you go. So I tell you what, Mr. <laughs> Sims, why don't, it sounds like a perfect, perfectly good time to introduce a couple of songs off of Hey Judester from 1988. So what should we play? 
Uh, you better start out with the Max Wedge Stingray. Uh, what do you call it? Mashup, not mashup. God, that's disgusting. Double play. How's that? A double play? Yeah, they're they're kind of they kind of. There's two songs that kind of go together. Yeah, and they start the album. So um, fantastic start to the album. So yeah, we're gonna play Max Wedge and Stingray um, by the Digits off of the 1988 album Hey Judester. So here you go. Hope you enjoyed that. I know I did. Love Max Wedge. Great, great, great song. 
So, um, so after Hey Jutster came out, you must have been getting some pretty good publicity. And did you go on tour then with that album? Um, yeah, you know, after Hey Jutster came out, we, you know, we had the the whole touch and go machine behind us, and so we um, we had, you know, we were people would pick up our record and look at it as stores just because we were on touch and go. It's a great album and, cover too. It's a great album cover. Yeah, I have to say, uh, that Dave, Dave Landis did that. Uh, he he was also from Matt. He's from Mattoon. He was the guy that had the the radio station, not the radio station, but the radio um, show mm-hmm. called Life During Wartime on WLKL in Mattoon, Illinois. And we're just like, we're like, he he made the Fizz Job record jacket. We were like, huh, we don't know how to make a record jacket. Hey, Dave, why don't you make it? He's like, I don't either, <laughs> but I can figure it out. So he <laughs> then he ended up making all of our record jackets for the end of mm-hmm. till all all of that time. And anyway, um, God damn it, what was I saying? I'm getting myself off track here. Um, Touch and go so, publicity machine, getting behind. Yeah, the album. yeah. So he's the one who came up with that, and his and he found that in a in a magazine, and that is actually um, John Landis's son, the guy who did the effects for Star Wars, right? Or who directed Star Wars. The Ghostbusters guy, John Landis. Landis. Hmm. Anyway, it was his son, and he put that makeup on. <laughs> I can't remember. Damn it. Um, and anyway, he put that makeup on him, and then we took that, we lifted that out of that uh, magazine. And you know, we were like, "Oh my god, that's the perfect logo for whatever reason." You know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Had the whole touch and go machine behind us, whatever. Went on tour, started touring with billions and billions agency, blah 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 blah. So we were off and running. And so you actually did? Did you do a a countrywide tour at that point? So did you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember that that my brother, the drummer, was um, Brad was, and it it, it irritates me to this day, Uh-oh. frankly. <laughs> Family problems. <laughs> he he had this job at Agrifab and Sullivan. Agrifab, they made I don't know plows, snow plows, snow shovels. I don't know what the fuck they made. <laughs> and I think he was married. He got married really young, and he didn't want to lose that job at Agrifab and Sullivan. So every time we toured, we had to tour when he had time off of work. So we were, every time we go like out to the West Coast to do a a tour, we had to fly him out to the West Coast, do a tour and then fly him back because it takes three days to drive there, three days to drive back. So we'd save a week. But we did not tour as much as we could have during that time because of that stupid fucking job in (laughs) Sullivan, Illinois. Has he still Um, got that um, same job? No. Oh, he doesn't, okay. Now, now he's working in Toyota in Lexington, Kentucky. Oh, he is. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, so I'm bitter. <laughs> so when you get together for Christmas, this is still like a sore point? Yeah, you know, we we don't really get together for Christmas so much. Um, oh, my last God. Last time we got together was um, my my niece got married, and we actually ended up, he ended up bringing his drums and stuff. He's like, let's play, let's play. And I was like, oh, okay, well, sure, I'll I'll bring some gear. I wish you'd have been this willing bit. to play in 1988. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't mean to throw this in your face after forty years, yeah. but you're responsible for us not being as big as we could have been. Um, 
but um no we're not we're not particularly best buds anymore right now you know he's um i don't know mm. just drifted drifted yeah okay. Let's get this shit back on, back on course. <laughs> it's like all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, something got very dark. Lake show. Yeah. Um... You are, in fact, the father, Rick. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, so did so. Where are we at? Okay, so we're 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 getting to the. We're getting to the third oh. album. We're getting towards okay. the third album. So at this point, Rick, well, you live in. Are you Mister Chronolog- Chronological here? You everything's got to be. Are you OCD, Neil? Like everything's got to be in order. <laughs> Well, listen. Let's we talk about. I figured I had this. to try and I had to try and rein you in somehow, buddy. Keep, uh, you, on, keep yeah. you on track. Well, okay. So I, you're you you were living like in boundaries. You're right. Are you living in Champaign at this point, or do you moved up to Chicago or something? Oh, you know, it's all a blur, Neil. All right. I, uh, all right. Forget I it. That details. With, Who needs details? <laughs> Who the fuck needs you know, details? Drugs and alcohol, and I drifted for a while, and um, no, I don't know. I think I. Um, I think I was living there. I remember, you know, like I said, I was living in the Tinchity Guy House on the couch. And the next thing you know, I had Don, Don Gerard's room and I was paying him rent. So I was living there at some point, but I can't remember exactly when. You sh- you probably know this better than I do. Don't you know when I was living there, Neil? It was probably 88-ish because I can remember my band. Oh, Mc- yeah, I remember. My band, in- McWilson, played actually at the Shitty Guy House. We used to have shows at the Shitty Guy House, too. It was, it was, the, it was the best freaking house ever. I mean, rent was like 60 bucks a month mm. or some shit. Um, but yeah, my band, play, I think the three bands played that night. Some other shitty band played, then McWilson played, and then the Digits headlined. So that was, and I think that was like 88 or something like that. It was a great yeah, show. I remember why we blew McWilson off the stage, but well, I, Well, I'd hope so. We don't, we'd only played like four gigs. <laughs> but you, you know what, you know what annoys me now, Rick, when I think back on that? When I see oh, so many, is, so many. So many shitty punk bands came out in the '90s and stuff. If we just kept our shit together and kept that band going, we actually could have actually done something. But uh... yeah, you guys would have been like the vanguards of like you know real punk rock, as opposed to the posers who were regurgitating the the idea of it. <laughs> exactly. Wilson. See that you're genius. Tr- traditional punk rock. Well, that makes you sound old, like you're playing ukuleles and shit, or. So as as we get to the close of the '90s here, can I ask you one question about my pal Neil? Because I didn't meet him until he was already a geezer. Is this the Necro saying again? What? Yeah, no, yeah, no, no. no more Necro. Question, a question about Neil. Were were the were the girls crazy about that British accent back in the day, or did was that did that work well for him? I, I see that being a real a real plus being in a college town, you know, in the '80s having a British accent. I can answer that. <laughs> Can't or won't. I can't answer that. <laughs> no, Neil w- Neil did not have a lot of women hanging around him. I think he had one. I think it was Laura, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. I, I, actually, you know what? I think at that point I was married you had already. An accent and you couldn't capitalize on it, Neil. Oh, I was mar- I was I was married already, buddy. I was married oh, in '86. Oh yeah, okay. that was the green card marriage or something, it, wasn't it? It was. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> No. Oh boy. Now we're getting to get, now we're getting into some questionable legal ground. Who knew? <laughs> we, but, just, uh, we just we just we just pushed the date up a year, okay? Anyway. You thought my accent was fake? Yeah, it's I still think you're fake. Are you are you really from wherever it is, Liverpool or whatever? 
I don't, I'm not buying it, dude. He's actually from a town that's smaller than Sullivan, and he made up this whole fake identity of being like British and like seeing the Clash back in the day. It's all BS. It's all BS. How did the show go off the rails so quite so much? <laughs> all now I wanted to hear was about how how many girls Neil used to get because of his accent. And he never like, got laid. He I was laid. I was married in '86. Listen, well, everybody. Well, then you definitely never got laid. <laughs> Good God. Okay. All right. Uh, yes, All right. thank you. Okay. All right, so I've digressed enough. Let's keep yeah. going with the. Uh, um, we're getting to the real juicy stuff of the digits now. Keep going, Neil. Sorry. Yes. Mm. So, 1990, your third album. What was that one called, Rick? Tell everybody. Hornet Pinata. Hornet Pinata. There you go. Why is it called that? Uh, because it sounds good, and uh, well, you know, it's like kind of the experience of like, oh, I'm gonna open up this package oh i'm gonna open up this pinata and then you open it up and it's like you're attacked by bees so that we thought that was a good metaphor gotcha for the because we were fucking genius and now we go ahead (laughs) (laughs) okay um and so I I can't tell which is my favorite album, if it's Hey Jude's or Horner Pinata, but they're both fantastic. Um, what was what was the package though? I mean, what was the, it was just a metaphor for life in general or for something oh, specific? Rick? I think it's specific to that record. You open up that record, you put it on the turntable, and then you're oh. attacked by bees. Ah, I gotcha. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, it's got some sting to it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was a meta. It was a metaphor. That we thought of before we even made one song. We're like, this song, this record has to be like, you open it up and you feel safe and you feel comfortable. But when you play it, you are attacked. That's not true, but I wish it was. Actually, with uh, songs like Sweet Sweet Satan and Captain Ahab, maybe that is true. That's... Yeah, it is true. I, I don't think you can see those titles from the outside. So it might have been a little bit of a shock when we were worshiping Satan on the inside. Although... I mean, worshiping Satan is probably so so cliche anymore. With you know, the, even at the time with rock bands, it was like a a joke as opposed to Black Sabbath, who were really truly worshiping the Prince of Darkness. You know, actually, so I, was, actually, we I we were just paying that lip service. I sh- I sh- I, sh- I want to ask you this. So, actually, what kind of bands were you in- into back then? Because I don't remember you being that big into like the, the hardcore scene or anything like that. You were more into you, you liked a lot of classic rock and stuff like that, right? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I I grew up in the 70s in Decatur, Illinois. So, you know, that you you did not get. Jeez, I remember reading a a story. It was in the newspaper about the Sex Pistols and I was disgusted. Oh, who are these people? (laughs) I didn't hear. I had never heard a note. Anyway, who are these? Who are these assholes? I'm going to put on my Kiss record. So, you know, it was it was like that during high school. But then at the end of high school, I started, you know. I, I keep this this memory comes, keeps coming back to mind when I was on watching TV. I was watching 2020, the famous episode where they were like the new music coming down, and it was Talking Heads and Elvis Costello and blah blah blah. And I was like, wow, that looks pretty cool. What's all this about? And then I started getting into Devo, and you know Elvis Costello stuff like that, which isn't. I mean, God, Elvis Costello might as well be Journey at this point. Right, but you know, it was so I started diversifying it, even in Decatur, and then, um, but you know, it was it was, I I would gladly I I remember putting on do not duty now for the future, the first record, the first Steve, are we not men? Yeah, we're not putting on that record, 
and listening to that and go, yeah, this is awesome. And then going like, okay, time to play Van Halen. And I'd put on Van Halen running with the devil. Right. So I had that diverse, that sort of like diversity of, mm. of taste at the time for, for better or worse. Well, and, 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 I, and I tell you what, that actually comes through in a lot of, di- in a lot of the digits music too, is you're clearly not just, you know, a punk band regurgitating punk stuff. You've you also, you know, there's some classic rock and roll in there. There's some from the early seventies yeah. influences then mixed with, uh, mixed with punk and it makes a great mixture, you know? And- it's got riffs. Yeah. It's got more riffs than your standard maybe punk band too. You know, it's definitely got some hooks, some riffs. Yeah, you know, if I had to like say what influenced this the most, I would, you know, I could definitely say like ACDC in uh, mm. MC5 Detroit sort mm. of sound, Alice Cooper. Um, but you know, at that time when we were living in Mattoon, we also got turned on to like Husker Du and the Minutemen. And so that definitely, and, and the Stooges even, um, started playing and creating this m- mishmash of, I don't know, influences that came out through what we were doing. And you, and you, in ways that were not what do you call predetermined they just sort of kind of came out and right. we don't and what what for whatever in whatever way they did and what we wanted to do at the time too was really update rock and roll which was like jerry lee lewis on acid definitely mm. yep yep we sort of brought that attitude little richard you know yeah, on speed. Classic. Or he was probably on speed anyway. Yeah. Classic, classic, <laughs> early, early rock and roll stuff. So, actually, who wrote all the songs? Did Did you write all the songs, or, or was Doug? Did Doug play a part in some of the songwriting? Um, I wrote, I think, ninety five percent of the Digits songs. Okay. Um, we had a a band, but in in between, me and Doug had a band in in Mattoon at one time called UXB where he actually ended up writing songs. And uh, I don't know why he didn't write more for the digits. I don't know if he thought that wasn't his thing. And UXP was, but some of those cuts are going to be coming out on the um, the rarities that's um, coming out. UXB, that, UXB. Sounds, that sounds very punk rock right there. That's a great punk rock oh, band there. Hey, hey so got, so is somebody, is somebody fighting over there? I can hear like fighting in the background. Not a, not here. Is it me? Is it? I, I don't think... know. Everybody in the house listens to the freaking TV so loud, Neil. Just a second. Bring a TV down a little, please. <laughs> Fix some food, bitch. Whoever lives makes room, fly. It's just like it's just uh, my house is constant chaos, you know. So yes. So, but Doug, and... Doug was the gearhead, right? Yeah, Doug worked on cars because because he, he fixed our car on the way to San Francisco when we broke down in. Nevada. And the, re- the reason I bring that up is because a-, a constant throughout all the digits material is a lot of like gearhead references and car references and stuff. So I assume that was from him. No, no, okay. it was, it, you know, it was from, it was from all of us. I, I, you could say, but I think, you know, Max Wedge and all that stuff, it came from that old rock and roll idea, like little deuce coop and all yeah, that yeah, stuff, yeah, gotcha. but up, updated, uh, to more like, I don't know, craziness. Um, trying to think where that that idea came from. It was, you know, when I grew up in Decatur, Illinois, everybody had their 
their fucking badass car. Everybody, you know, I had a Mustang. And you were going to get laid more if you had a badass car. You were just cooler if you had a badass car. And um, I kind of grew up with that sort of mindset of, like, it's cool to have a cool car. Yeah, yeah. And you were you were actually a better person, depending on what kind of car you had. Um, so, yeah, you know, rock and roll always seems to have been a little bit about the gotcha. car and the fast car. All right, cool. Cool. So now, had, had you had you toured outside the country at this point, or had you just done stuff internally? You think, like, at what point did you tour well, Europe, for example? I think that was it was our first tour. I think my first tour in Europe might have been Horn and Pinata. Okay. Yeah, there's a a guy named Christoph who has a now a big had a big record label over there. He he got big. He and um, that we were like his first tour, and then he had this record company that was like gigantic i can't remember the name of the record company but uh, yeah that's when we went over there and i think that was like 90 probably 91 um something like that okay and, and brad was still drumming with you guys at this point yep okay he played yeah now see now you now you you brought up some bad stuff again neil well no uh, I, now I, i'm, I'm not starting mean, to feel bitter again no i'm not meaning to be bad <laughs> stuff but i know at some point he left the band now admittedly i had moved up to chicago uh by then in, in 89 so i kind of lost track of you guys in the last couple of albums so you're gonna have to talk me through some of the uh, some of the latest stuff all i know is okay. that he wasn't drumming with you at the end um yeah no he he left I forget. We had a big fight at my sister's house. We were practicing at the my sister's house, and we ended up throwing beer at each other, and he ended up storming off. Blah blah blah. Yeah, it's just um, like Oasis. Jeez, listen, listen to you guys. <laughs> the fucking the Gallagher's kinks, right man. here. The Kinks. Gotta the go kinks? back a little further. Those yeah. Davies brothers. They always yeah. hated each other, right? Yeah, it, yeah. It, was, it wasn't great, and you know, it, it all kind of came down to. I think. I think what happened was he ended up finally being able to tour and then I ended up finding a girlfriend and I didn't want to tour so much. So then the roles, the roles reversed and he was like, why don't you ever want to tour? And Mm. I said, I do. I just don't want to tour for fucking three months at a, in a row. Um, so anyway, he, he quit and blah, blah, blah. And then we got Todd from, uh, Matt Toon to play on and for your this will get your chronological chronological jones going neil with our third album um or our fourth album there you go fourth album full oh. nelson riley what a great name for an album no, no, that no, is no. but 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 yeah but brad played on that oh it was after full nelson riley so it'll be the fifth then little miscarriage <laughs> no what that was ray washam well well dude you've only got you've only got six albums what are you doing to me here no, well, the Little Miscarriage was a um, EP. Okay, all right. Yeah, is God. that okay? Is that okay, Neil? Can we have an EP? Is that that work for you? Listen, I just like to say Little Miscarriage. All right. <laughs> okay, good. So what happened to good old? On hold on. What happened, what, happened, what happened to good old Todd from Mattoon? Why'd you kick him out? What the hell's going on there? We didn't. Yeah. We didn't. You wouldn't have drummers. It's just like fucking. Sp- it's just like Spinal Tap. What the hell are you guys doing? Yeah, a, a little bit. <laughs> It was a little bit like Spinal Tap. Um, but Ray Washam was an interim drummer. He was too good to be in the digits. He was he was too fancy. He was too like popular. He had, you know. Too popular as a drummer? 
Yeah, he wanted to be like in ministry. He went uh, on to be in ministry, and you know, he was like playing in bands with. He was in Scratch Acid for for fuck's sake. So, um, okay, is that, bigger, is that supposed to be impressive? Designs. Yes, <laughs> it is. Okay, he impresses me anyway. All right, and uh, so he had bigger designs. He didn't want to just be a digit. But it was great. So we were able to put out an album, keep our name alive in the interim. And then we got Todd, who was from Mattoon. Mattoon! And, and who, you know, he, at the time, I think he was playing in a, like, a, like a hair band, a hair cover band. But he was really good. He played really fast. And he could do all the stuff that my brother did. And um, so regardless of his heinous taste in music... We, uh, <laughs> we we got him in the band, and it worked out great. And he played on that last record and then toured with us and yada yada. And then there was a horrible car accident, and then what? the band exploded. What the fuck? I, what what car accident? What are you talking about? Do tell. Well, details, please. It's going to bring kind it down, sir. man. It's going to bring it down. Hey, listen, it's, it can't, are, it, it can't all be hijinks, okay? It can't all be hijinks and happy times and getting laid and whatever else you did. So <laughs> let's hear about this. By God, we're going to try. We tried. to. Uh, okay, so what, here's what happened. Yeah. We were playing, uh, you know, Todd was in the band. He was in the, we got him on for K Sirhan Sirhan, our final record. Unbeknownst to us, our final record at the time. And um, we were getting ready to go on tour we had a show to do at the exit here in chicago so you go on notoriously late at the exit right and we went on like at 2 a.m and played till like 4 a.m or something yikes yeah and um you know we played blah 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 and we were all drunk we were all like hot whatever you want to say and it 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 bear it's it has bearing on the story is why i say that okay but um so we play the show, and then he, him and Doug, the bass player Doug, the drummer's wife, Lisa, Todd's wife, Lisa, and two other people end up driving back that night. And I was like, dudes, what are you doing? Driving back where? To Mattoon? Champagne. Yes, okay. Mattoon. Mattoon. And I think they were going to drop off Doug at Champagne. So that's like, that's like three hours to people that are listening who have no idea of Illinois Ooh. geography. Yes. So... They're driving back. They cross the center line. They flip the car. Oh shit! Yeah, and um, the uh, drummer's wife, Todd's wife, ends up dying. Oh my god! Oh no, kidding. Yeah, and uh, Doug and Todd are in the hospital. All hell breaks loose. So we try to carry on after that, you know. And we were, we went to, actually went to tour like a month after that or so because Todd was like, "I just want to get out of this town." Blah blah blah. We're like, okay let's let's go ahead and, and continue this tour anyway but after that it was just like this weird psych psychopathic trying to deal with like this traumatic event as opposed mm. more so than trying to actually play rock and roll and enjoy ourselves so yeah. it kind of just ended up exploding who was who was driving uh the girlfriend of jason who was just the they were just friends of ours mm. And nobody went to jail, Damien, to go to jail or anything? Or was it, I mean, no. was it? Hmm. No. They were, you Interesting. know. Yeah, seriously. Nowadays, you'd think somebody would go to jail, but it was a different time. Yeah, I guess so, because, you know, I just can't imagine maybe they didn't check for, like, 
you know, they were doing coke, so maybe it hmm. didn't did show up on a breathalyzer or something, you know. So, huh? Oh, maybe, so, so, maybe the girl drinking days, was. I mean, the girl driving was the only one that wasn't drinking or something. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe yeah. I don't really yeah. know. Yeah, all, 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 yeah, all, all I know is that that is a really long, boring, straight drive through cornfields. Yeah, so I could see falling was. asleep for sure. Yeah, no, it's not fun. No. So when you when the digits were were in their heyday, you guys were on touch and go. You you had a you had a bit of a name. Did you did you tour with any of like the big bands of the time, or or did you mostly do like headlining tours? We mostly did headlining tours. A lot of people. I'm trying to think of who we played with. I mean, you we, never we did like you never went out with the Dead Kennedys or something like that, or no. Well, you, you were a little late for them, but you know, we're like one of those type of bands. Like, they, uh, well, they played with Mick Wilson, and that's almost on the same level. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they never played with us again because they were blew, embarrassed, blew them off the stage. And, which was why. <laughs> I wish I wish there was a grainy VHS of this, a grainy VHS tape of this show somewhere. Dude, we got some great stories from the shitty guy house. Let me tell you, there's some. Well, let me tell you, the classics. stories are probably better than reality because I know how time treats these things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh well. Embellishments are worth more. Exactly. I've got a mind like a steel trap. Let me tell you. So, so you didn't. Okay, so you didn't do like a week with the bad brains or something like that. No, we did one show actually. Oh, did Bad in Victoria, Canada. Mm. Um, we would play the. We would, you know, have shows here and there where we would play with open for people that were big, but we never like struck out on a two month tour with, you, you know, a a lineup where we were always opening for the same act sure. over and over. So, so like, did you get to the place where when any of those big bands came to Champagne, you guys were kind of the go-to band to play with them? Um, Is that not really a thing? I know, like, around not here, necessarily, it's always, no. like, bands sort of that open. No, and, 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 I'm, and I'm serious about this now. I'm going to blow smoke up Rick's ass, but um, none of the touring bands would have wanted that to happen because the Digits would literally blow anybody off the stage that played with them. So they, they really would. They were really, really good live. The only band that dared play with them? Mick Wilson. Mick Wilson, yeah. I'm telling you. Mick <laughs> and Wilson they paid in, the price. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And they broke up one day later. Two <laughs> no, we, later. We, we, you know what? We actually did. And I blame Don the drummer for that. God damn it. Always the that? drummer. You know, Don's drummers, are almost, into the, drummers are almost always the weakest link. I mean, I hate to say it in my vast experience also. but hmm. Well, apart from, apart from the guy that played with Scratch Acid, apparently. Apparently he was the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Curly so, Joe or whatever his name was. So you, you want to play another? Are we going to play another? Uh, yes. Play another digit song, Neil. Yes. Let's let's play another digit song, as requested by Mr. Sims. We have um. Well, what are we going to do? Are we going to do a Captain Ahab or Gold El, El Dorado? What do you want, Rick? Up to you. Wow. Okay, we're going to do a Captain Ahab. How's that? We're doing Captain Ahab because yeah, you made me do it. Yeah, Captain Ahab. How did you get me so high? Um. Okay, this is off Hornet Pinata. This is Captain Ahab.
There you go, Pop Pickers. That was Captain Ahab off of uh, One Pinata by the Digits from 1990. Is that the DJ from your local yep, that, was, uh, that was my DJ voice. Exactly. I thought that was Popeye voice, Captain Ahab sailor stuff. But, uh, exactly. It all ties together. I'm a genius mm. over here. Yeah, it is, man. You, were you were thinking about this last night when you couldn't sleep. Like, how am I going to make this interview the best interview ever? No, you know what? I and I'm sure you know you're about my age. Do you just wake up at like three o'clock in the morning these nights and then can't get back to sleep? It's just so annoying. As you get older, I wake up earlier and earlier. Yeah, and I go, "What have I done with my life? This is awful." <laughs> That's because you can't remember literally what you've done with your life. <laughs> Don't worry, Rick. This is going to be the bump in your career that you really need. This could reach hundreds of people to revive a real serious interest in your band. So, well, I'm counting on it. <laughs> it's time is now. Okay, so so, so, uh, so you, go ahead. The, the band broke up in what year? Ninety four. After that 94, very okay. sad story, band broke up in ninety four, and then what did you do? Well, um, well, first of all, let me tell you a little bit about our last show. Okay. Mm. Um, so we end up, we can't get a hold of Doug. We don't know where he is. Me and the drummer Todd are there waiting for him, waiting for him. He never shows up. So Pierre Kedsey was in the dressing room. Oh, from the effigies. Yes. Well, oh. he, he was also at the time he was in Peg Boy. Peg Boy and Naked Dragon. Okay. He was in Naked Dragon for a while. And, you, yep. and we toured with Peg Boy a lot. And okay. so they were there to see the show. And we said, we were like, uh, well, where, can you where, just where, like, was this, where was the last show? Was it this Chicago? was in Chicago at the Double Door. Oh, Double Door, okay. Boy, sold out. Around till only recently. Yeah. Um, great venue, you know, it was, it was the rock, premier rock venue in town, whatever. Wow. And sold out. <laughs> <laughs> and so he doesn't show up. So we're like, okay, well, we got to play. We're going to do this anyway. Pierre, come on. Can you do it? He's like, I can play. Sure. And this wasn't so, scheduled. You, this wasn't being advertised as your last show or anything. No. It so this, just, you didn't know it was going to be your last show. Okay. No. And it sort of wasn't our last. Well, it was, yeah. So, <laughs> in, in any case, he we, we go on stage and Pierre's kind of playing along and we're kind of trying to make it happen. And then we had this whole elaborate thing planned where 
uh, we have a, we are going to have a friend of ours come on stage and he was, he was going to heckle the band. And we did this a lot with the digits where we would just stage these elaborate things. It, it <laughs> a real looked, sense of drama. And so what he was going to do, his name is Joey Slotnick. He's a, he's an actor. You've probably seen, you, you might recognize him if you saw him. He's done a lot of movies and blah, blah, blah. He's, he was coming on his, his thing was his, his bit was to come on stage and go like, yay, digits, and grab the microphone for me. Yay, digits, they're the best. Yay, come on, everybody. Woo! This isn't going to end well, is it? I can already tell. This isn't going to end well. <laughs> <laughs> he, he jumps on the stage, and he did this like three times, and he would like kind of get in, bet- in between the songs, and he'd do that, and we're like, dude, just would you fuck off? Okay, that's great. Thank you, but please go fuck yourself. We're, we're trying to do a show here. So... <laughs> After the third time he's on, he's on stage at the third time, he's in the microphone, yay, woo, digits. And I take this bottle that's on the top of my amp and I smash him over the head with it. <laughs> and, and all of this blood goes flying everywhere. <laughs> and on of course, earth? as you might have guessed, it's, it's a breakaway bottle and the blood is all fake. Yeah. So he, he falls through the ground and people are carrying him out. And oh my God. And then everybody in the audience starts to freak the fuck out they're like that is not cool not cool and you can't do that you can't break some a bottle over somebody's head oh my god you really hurt him that is and there was like almost this like i thought people were going to carry me out into the street and i don't know call the cops on me or or beat my ass or something so we had to bring him back on the stage we had to go like, hey, look, it's a joke, everybody. He's okay. He's okay. Everybody calm down. And uh, we played like three songs for that set, and that was that was the end of the digits. Hmm. Wow. That's although we, Yeah, although we did the re- reunion, touch go reunion. But, uh, and of course, what just year the, was that? Well, we, we, we can get to that in a bit. So just a side note okay. to that. Just a side note I'm to sorry, that. sorry. I tried to go out of chronological order. Yeah, you did. You did. Exploded. And I and I and I and I just wanted to say yeah that was I'm sorry I made a mistake it was John Kesdy and the effigies Pierre Kesdy was naked Reagan and Pegboy so I'm sorry okay. carry on but they're everybody brothers, yes so, you know, brothers yes I, I let it slide yeah um so yeah after that huh yeah after that well we, okay so we're talking you joined the Super Suckers at some point right round about then how did that happen yeah I mean almost... how did you hook up with those crazy Northwesterners. Well, they were big fans. They were big okay. fans of the of the digits. We did a few shows with them, and okay. they were kind of like buds in a way, okay, rock and roll buds, if you will. And um, their guitar player Ron, he ended up uh, having some issues, and they said, "Go take care of your issues." And when you get your issues taken care of, you can come on back. So in the meantime, we're going to get someone else to fill your position. And their manager said, give us a, give me a wish list of who you want, who, what guitar player could be in the band. And I was number one on that list. Wow. So you. my band. Yeah. I can't my believe band's... it wasn't the guy from McWilson. <laughs> Dave Teitelbaum. Sorry, sorry, sorry Neil. <laughs> Damn, you're fucking you loving this, aren't you? Mr. Trauma. <laughs> God. <laughs> Knife uh, in. Sorry. <laughs> You'll be sorry. <laughs> There's more to come, I'm sure. <laughs> this ought to be a running gag for your little... It might just be. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about the Necros again, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So, 
So yeah, oh, oh yeah, the, the super suckers. Then uh, I I said sure I'll be in it because I was like obviously there were no more digits and I was like oh man my rock my rock roll career is over blah 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 and I was like okay I'll jump at this you know so they ended up you know they they were on Sub Pop who was like throwing around bags of money at the time and yep. so they were post Nirvana era yes correct. And uh, they uh, they were like you know they were state they were based in Seattle and so they were flying me in for like to practice like three days at a time trying mm. to so it was like kind of like I felt like I was living like a 70s rock star or something flying out and doing shows out there and blah 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 we did you know they were throwing money behind the super suckers we were doing um, we did a video with Linda Blair and we. Um, That'd be the born with the tail video. Yes. Yeah. And they're just, they're just huge amounts of stupid money. Hmm. But that's how I got involved with those guys. And um, yeah. And you, you were the fact of the matter is you were on their biggest album. At least uh, I think it was their biggest album. Well, it might have been their biggest album because there was so much push behind that record. So that much was the money. Sac- the sacrilegious album, right? Yes. Sacrilegious sounds of the super suckers. Was that 90, 95? Is that what we're talking about? 94-ish? Here? 95? Something like sure. that. I'm not sure, but that was definitely... I mean, they had the video. They had the big budget video, and they got a little bit of airplay with that song on the radio. Not a ton, but there was a little bit of... They got a little bit of airplay with Born With A Tail. Yeah. Um, it was a cool song. It definitely stood out because the radio was getting pretty crappy again already, and it, well, it always was pretty crappy, but that was, that was a pretty cool song that... For, you know, like occasionally you hear a song on the radio, you go, well, hey, that song wasn't that bad. And then you know, it's very rare and it kind of stood out. It was a cool song. So so what exactly were you doing with them? Were you just like a hired guitarist or were you writing songs and stuff too and singing? Well, like what was it? What was your deal? It was weird. And as with most band relationships that I'm in, it always ends up turning out bad. Oh, good. Um, That's a happy story. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not as bad as the last so, story yeah, you told. <laughs> all, all of my band relationships are troubled, mm-hmm. even, even my good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but it, the, the, that band I was brought on, and Ron wasn't making enough headway to get back into the group, and they're like, "Well, we're thinking maybe maybe you should just be a member." And I'm like, "Because uh, I, I think they brought me on as a hired gun to deal with the record and." Yeah, so on, so on. I even wrote three songs for that record, mm-hmm. that okay. sacrilegious record, and they were kind of like, "Yeah, maybe you should be." And I said, "Okay, well, just think about it. I might be into that." So I think we made that decision to kind of be into that, uh, to kind of make that happen, be an original, not not an original member, but actually becoming a member of the band. And then um, things just got weird. You know, they were like those people, those dudes in that band were like. I don't know, brothers or family or something. And there was just a, a, uh, insulated sort of like code of something that was just impenetrable. And I was, I found myself on the outside and then sure. it got weird. And I, yeah, I, they, so did you, did you walk away or did they fire you? I think it was a mutual agreement and I just can't remember. Like they it. might, they might've, they might have beat me to the punch, but I can't remember. <laughs> did you ever did you ever move out there, or were you still based in the Midwest no. at that point? No, I was I was never going to go out there. Okay. Um, and you know, I wasn't. Honestly, 
I don't think my heart was in it either. You know what I mean? I was like, uh, I was playing some dude's songs. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and, and after being in charge of the band for so long, that had to be tough, right? Yeah, and you know, it, it's like they, they also had feelings about my position in the band, um, you know, the way I should be, what my what my role should be and stuff like that, you know, and here I, here I am, always been the front dude, right. always been the the attraction quote-unquote the outrageous front man yes yeah so i think there was a little bit of like i don't know that this is who we are and i didn't think i wasn't sure that that's who i was Mm. and i don't know it just it seemed like a good idea and then it just uh it just wasn't in the end okay hey tom do you want it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't sort of liberating to not have to be in charge of everything to just say, hey, I'm just going to play guitar and just have a role and I don't have to be, you know, in charge of everything? There wasn't a certain amount of relief in that? Well, you'd th- you'd think, and and ye- yes. But there was, the, I think, the, the the problem came with the the personal aspects of, like, what's up with these guys? What's, what's up their ass? Oh, I don't know if I want to... You know, I was having, like, these second thoughts about touring at the time, and... Um, and hanging out with these guys who I didn't really know, you know, so even though it was easier or was less uh, stress and on and all that stuff, it still felt like there was an overwhelming amount of stress and and uh, weird weirdness. OK, at, at the end of the day, it just wasn't it wasn't a good fit. Yeah. To put that's it, you know, yeah, friend, that's basically what it comes down. Yeah. Okay. So, well, I was going to so, say, Tom, it's, it's probably a good time if you play a. Do you want to play, play a Super Sucker song then, just to give us an idea of what it, which, what the whole thing sounded did, like? He picked, he picked one out. I can't remember what was the one you picked out, Rick. You picked run, out one that you. Sorry, go run ahead. like a motherfucker. That's right, and that's one that you wrote and sang lead vocals on, right? Yeah. Okay, so this is from Sacrilicious.
So I hope everybody dug that one. He's got Rick has a little different voice than Eddie did. Eddie had kind of a lower rumblier voice, and uh, Rick has a little more Rum- of a... rumblier. What kind of word is that? Rumbly? Rumbly. Well, Eddie has a real low, has a good low rock and roll. Voice. Rumbly in his Most tumbly? Of the punk bands tend to go up a little bit in the. You know, Are you saying I have a shitty high voice? No, no, you have, a great, you have a great, you have a great voice. It's a nice contrast to Eddie's. There you go, beautifully so, put. Hey, so, so I think I think I probably saw. So I, I'm actually a pretty big Super Suckers fan. Uh oh, there's trouble. Um, but I think. I think the very first time I saw the Super Suckers, I suspect you were playing guitar for them. So did you do, you did the big, I'm assuming, White Zombie Ramones Super Suckers tour? No, I didn't. Uh-huh. Oh, were you gone already at that time? Yeah, I was gone. Or was that before? That Well, it was, it was that album. I swear, well, maybe they were, I swear they were doing, that was like their big push when they were getting the big push from radio. But maybe, yeah, maybe it missed you by a year or two. Well, there goes a half hour's worth of questions. Touring with the Ramones is off the, yeah, go ahead and cross <laughs> Oh, but one. I got a Ramones story. Uh, this oh, sounds good. Excellent. Yeah, we, we opened, the digits opened for the Ramones. And, oh, nice. Uh, in, in Canada. Like in Champagne? No, in Canada. <laughs> it was Canada. a big festival, mm. as a matter of fact. Um, so anyway... Real quick, Ramones story. So we're we're opening for the Ramones, and and of course I'm a big fanboy of the Ramones. They're my they're my freaking idols, you know. The, As everyone should be. Yes. Yeah. Where the, where it all started was with the Ramones. Blah blah blah. And so I'm waiting outside their trailer. I'm like, and CJ Ramone is outside, and I'm saying, hey CJ, what's up? Uh, yada yada yada. Boy, I'd like to meet the other guys in the band. You know, we're doing the show together. And he's like, ah, yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to go in in there. Trust okay. me, don't you don't want to go in there. And I was like, oh, no, I do want to go in there. I really, really do. I got and, my copy of the poem here. Can't they just sign it? <laughs> yeah, and I kept pushing it, kept pushing it, and he's like, ah, oh, they. He went in a couple times. He's like, yeah, no, you know, this it's just not. So finally, after I must, it must have been three hours of fucking asking to go in and meet them. I finally get to go in. I get to meet them. I want them to sign the, the you know, the bill that we've both yeah, yeah. Were sharing sure. the bill. I was like, yeah, let's sign this. And those dudes were the biggest fucking assholes I've ever met in my life. <laughs> I was so disappointed. And, and CJ was cool though, wasn't he? Oh, CJ's great. Of course he was a and, kid, practically a kid back in those days too. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, didn't seem like at the time, but that's probably because I was kind of a kid too. But yeah, I suppose. Um, but yeah, and fucking Johnny Ramone, I he was getting in my face. Why do you want me to sign it? Why do you want me to sign it? I was like, whoa, dude, what the fuck? Crazy. Yeah, it was weird. And supposedly they were in a bad mood because of their hotel or something or. But it was such a disappointment, and and I there tried wasn't to... enough Yahoo or Yahoo. There wasn't Yoo-hoo. enough Yahoo in the, in the writer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so we were. I kept fucking with their manager after they went on stage. I, I'd sneak up and try to you know look, watch them from the side of the stage and stuff. And the manager would come running at me, get out of here, get out of here. And so after that, I just made it a point to get in, get all up in his. Just pissed him off, and I'd run up to the stage, and he's get out of here, get out of. You need to get off. You need to get out of the fairgrounds. And I'm like, fuck you. And so it just ended up being this horrible experience. Anyway, so what year was that? What year was that about? 
That had to be around 93 or 4 because Todd was in the band. The last oh, yeah. Okay. Pacer Han, yeah. Okay. Oh, well, that, that's terrible. I, did you end up getting the autographs? I did. All four of them. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's I cool. Did. You know what? I, I, mean, that's, I mean, that sucks when you meet your heroes and they're douches, but, you know, it's a good story. My favorite person, celebrity-wise, that I've ever met in my whole life is Willie Nelson. Met him on the Super Suckers Tour. Best guy huh? ever. And, you know, I am not a country and western dude. I, that stuff can kiss my ass. And, and They weren't doing I, country albums when you were with them. I mean, no. they've done a couple cents, but yeah. Okay. So, yeah, he's the best guy, most, uh, what do you call it, unpretentious, affable guy in the world. So Johnny was a jerk, but the other ones were too. Marky and and Marky and uh, Joey were no better. Did Marky's wig fall off when you were talking to him? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but he signed mine like, "Ugh, I'm signing your stupid flyer here. Get out of here." Wow, <laughs> that's really disappointing. And Joey, yeah, and Joey gave me the that yucky handshake where they they don't really. Oh, uh, it goes limp and yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> Oh, Joey. That's a measure of a man. Wow. That's really oh, that's, measure up. That's hardly You know, I listened yesterday, yesterday in my spare time. I mean, I listened to uh, Rocket to Russia and Road to Ruin yesterday, both, you know, side A and side B. And I won't, I, I won't let it taint my don't. enjoyment of the first four records. <laughs> you don't, you don't need to. I'm a, unfortunately, it taints mine every time I put on a record now, but uh, uh. you don't, you don't need to. Enjoy your Ramones. Well, I'm glad they died before they could wreck that for me. Yeah. I'm too glad much, you never had to try to meet them. Wow. I'm glad they died. I'm just going to cut that quote out of context. <laughs> Tom Trauma <laughs> about the Ramones. I'm glad they died. It's gonna be like, he's going to use that to edit that. <laughs> Fuck <drama>. yes. <laughs> That's already out there. Uh, yep. Meanwhile, Marky's still alive. Ugh. Marky, and, uh, Marky and CJ and Richie. Richie tainting yeah. the band's name every time he goes out. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, CJ is definitely the best ambassador they have left left at this yeah. point. But that's all right. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. All right. So let's get let's get back then. So after the Super Suckers, you decided to you were in Chicago, decided to form another band, correct? Uh, I did. <laughs> Do you well, want me to remind you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to drift off. You know. This, yes. Um, it's it has been a very long long interview. So you I formed need, a band. A you found a band called the Garza Strippers, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, Gaza Strippers. I did it. You know that was like uh, late late nineties. Yeah. And who was this and with? Who, who, who were the other? Who were the other strippers? People you don't know. Okay. Were um, they from? Were they from Mattoon? Here. Was 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 Todd from Mattoon in the band? That's all we need to know. <laughs> no, but two guys from Evansville, Indiana, were in the band. Oh. They, I was looking for people to be in a band with. And they sent me a tape, and it was like, wow, these guys are pretty good. I, I never got a call from you. Why, why was that? Because <laughs> I thought you were busy with McWilson. I didn't think you would be able to. It was the first, the first McWilson reunion tour. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I knew you were, you were uh, otherwise occupied. Yeah. <laughs> indisposed. <laughs> um, yeah, so these guys, they sent me a tape, and it was awesome. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to start this band, you know, and let's, hey guys, come on up and let's, let's jam and see what's up. And they show up and we jam and I'm like, oh my God, these guys aren't as good as their tape. And Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> hell, man. Rip into them a bit. If why don't you? The, they were going to be your rhythm section basically. And you were going to play guitar and sing or was one of them a singer yeah. or what was the, okay. So it was but very wanted... similar to the digits, honestly, just a 
well, setup wise. I wanted to add another guitar player. Ah. So I wanted to make it different. I wanted to, you know, try some different style of music and all okay. that. I mean, not style. Some, you know, try some other stuff. I don't know. I, it was kind of had this like feeling of like, I'm in rock and roll. That's what I'm supposed to do. I need to make a band and I need to go on tour. Mm. And um, so that's what I did. And, you know, I put out a record. We put out our first record uh, on Man's Ruin, which had um, Queens of the Stone Age at the time. Um, yeah, cool little label. And um, so, we, you know, we, we, we were making some good headway, you know. But then the whole music industry was changing. It was like nobody was buying records. And uh, you know how it was starting to – you see yep. where it's gone. And, Early, yeah, around the turn of the millennium. Yeah, that was when it was all fell we apart. Saw yeah, we were sold, we sold 5,000 records. We we're like, man, that really sucks. We sold 5,000, right? And people were like, man, that's really good for this. Yeah, now, nowadays <laughs> you'd be you'd be in the <laughs> Billboard Top 100 with that. <laughs> so, you know, it, it just became, um, we, you know, I I was just listening to it. And then when Neil, Neil asked me to make a list and for for the show. And I was the guy, I, so I went back and started thinking, I'm going to throw a Gossip Strip song on here. And I was listening to some of it and I'm like, Damn, that's better than I thought it was. Or it sounded good. <laughs> and um, so, I mean, looking back on it, you know, it, it was great. It, I mean, listening to the music was was awesome. Of course, I was once again. I was like a. I don't know. Maybe I was like in my forties at that point. I think it's in my forties. Well, you did, you did an album on. You did an album on Lookout, which was. I mean, it was not as as ugly in the prime years of Lookout, but that was a great, great indie. You know, punk label, West Coast punk yeah. label. Yeah. Well, now no, I have about a billion records on them um, from my youth. Yeah, they were they were a good label, but you know they were like, we'll put out yours. They there was no support, you know. Yeah. And, um, I don't they, think even in their best days there was much support from. Lookout. Yeah, right. Who, who was like, well, who, who was on lookout? Tom? Uh, Screeching Weasel, all the Screeching Weasel, the queer stuff, Mr. T Experience. Okay, was, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah, it was definitely yeah, and there was a few like the Don. Well, uh, Green Day, Neil, their first couple things before they got huge. Green Day was on lookout. I mean, it was the Bay Area. They were out of the Bay Area. It was gotcha. a big, uh, yeah, yeah, it was a big label. And I mean, their '90s. I mean, the mid '90s was probably their heyday, but that was really solid stuff. You could pretty much, if it said lookout on the back, you could count on it being at least decent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was our second record, Thousand Watt Confessions, and. Uh... Was that the I biggest? Like, was that the biggest guy's strippers record, or was yeah, a... yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's probably the one that did the best. Okay. And then we did a bunch of touring. We did a went overseas, um, and we went overseas and toured a lot and tried to make it happen. But you know, it was just like uh, hanging the head against the wall at the time. You know, it was just uh, swimming against the tide, as it were. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So that came and, to know, an end. Like... And when you don't recognize the industry that you, you know, I, I, I get that. Because even when I, you know, the, the years I played music, I went from, you know, in the early 90s from, you know, hand-making flyers and all that to everything was going digital. And it was just like, man, it just, the changes seem so overwhelming, you know. Yeah. It's like the way I knew how to do this doesn't exist anymore. And do I really have the energy to learn the way it is now? Mm-hmm. The business model was... I mean, even even then, we were selling CDs and T-shirts at shows and making money. Um, but 
a lot of the times with the digits we'd sell through our record company we'd sell a lot of records and then they would support us on tour and sure. we could make make it make it all work but when it, when the record sales from the Gaza strippers were selling like the records that the digits were then it you know it's sort of like uh, I wouldn't say the bottom fell out it just made it so like geez this is a lot more work or this just isn't making ends meet Hmm. So you did three you albums. You, you, that, you were getting too old at that point to sleep at the house with ten other guys, and you yeah, to have a little more comfortable lifestyle. I don't even know if comfortable lifestyle is like. What the fuck am I doing hanging out with these guys? I want to. You know, God bless them. They're they're twenty three. You know, they were like I was in the early digits, which was like, just give me some fucking beer and blah 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 this is great and i'm like oh boy i've, I've done this before and i <laughs> i've played for 50 people in fargo when i would prefer to be home with my wife and yada yada yeah. I, I had a i had to like weigh some things it's like just because you think that's what you should be doing maybe you should just do what you want to do as opposed to what you you think you should be doing. i don't know Break you know. the break the patterns as as natural as they feel. You just yeah, I I, I, told, I totally get you, man. And yeah. you I, and you were living up uh, up in Chicago at this point. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, the band was from Chicago. We were all from Chicago. Okay. Hmm. What was your favorite venue to play back then in Chicago? Was it still Double oh, Door? Yes. Double Door. Uh, let me see my favorite venue. You know, we played the Metro. Always had good shows at the Metro. Did you play the Fireside at any point? No, no, Fireside. Oh no, Fireside no. Bowl, the bowling alley. Well, I think we played it maybe once. Yeah, yeah. that place was a, a rat pit. I mean, it was, it, like, was it was, but it was awesome. It was an awesome rat pit. Yeah, that's well, a good a name for a band. Holy shit, that's a good name for a band. Let's write that one down. Awesome rat pit. Okay, right put that in your list. Yep, that's on my list. Do you, uh, did you did you ever make it up to Grand Rapids? Do you remember or not necessarily? Oh yeah, they did. You guys seem like a reptile a house store. kind of band. No, uh, well. I don't know what the reptile house is, so I can't speak to that. It was downtown, a real rat, rancid neighborhood. That was like our CBGBs back in the day. That was our personal. But we had a lot of hall shows and stuff. You could have done halls or who knows. We played a record store once in the when I was in the digits. Was it suburban? You know, I can't. In the ba- did you play in the basement? Uh, he's he's got no he's got it. no memory of anything. Leave him alone. Well, as I say, because no. I, I only know one place where I think that might have worked that I, off the top of my head, but that could have been anywhere. Who knows? Yeah. So I, I remember it being like not a great gig, you know, no. and, and being Grand Rapids. We we had some good shows in Kalamazoo though. Oh yeah, Kalamazoo had a great scene back when I was like college, like in the early 90s Kalamazoo had a great scene club soda man yep yep up oh, I played there myself yeah that's a good place what about you like East Lansing you ever get to East Lansing like the small planet we, East Lansing there was we some played cool... some show there I think it was a Gaza strippers we played some bar okay <laughs> it was obviously max is good there, there's a well, yeah, anyway, yeah. Oh, yeah I remember when I was in the digits that we played a, like a garage show out there oh yeah in in East Lansing that was a lot of fun and uh hmm. but I couldn't tell you anymore sure, i got you they all kind of blend together after a while yeah but mm. no man those are some great great times you know that uh early on when you're like wow this is all brand new and shit and then it's really sad when you're like old and 40 plus and you're going like oh i'm playing fargo <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and, and and you start to realize that big break is probably not right around the corner. Yeah. When you're young, you could be like, who knows who we might meet in Fargo? There might be, you know, there might be a contact in Fargo that really, you know, but you get older, you're like, yeah, there's, they're not coming. Well, I think it's more like, you know, the more we tour, the more we accumulate. It's a, it's a, like a, you accumulate a crowd over or a following over yeah, sure. of the long haul. That's what we were trying to do. But that, that, you know, my brother and his stupid job at Agrifab kind of, kind of, we, you know, kept us from striking while the iron was hot as far as that goes. So, mm. it's, yeah. So I'm still bitter about that. Yeah, I guess so. So, okay, so, so the Gaza strippers went until the mid 2000s. Uh, yeah. And I then can't uh, exactly, but yes, somewhere in there. So, but you've it sounds like, and I, and I don't I don't know you real well, obviously, but it sounds like you've been able to still kind of keep a foot in sort of creative stuff. So, what have you been, what have you been doing since the? Were you, were you making a living with the strippers, or were you doing some kind of regular work also? No, I was. Um, well, you know, the, the offspring money is where, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we haven't even got to that yet. We haven't even got to that yet. We glossed over that yeah. because that was like 94. Yeah. So, yeah. So did you know, okay. So for those who don't know, the, the, the uh, Rick wrote a song on the offspring's big album smash. And, uh, so how did, how did that come about? Well, I'm not exactly sure, but you didn't play with them or anything. Uh, well, when they came to town, I think I sang with them once. Okay. I definitely remember they they got me into the shows and blah, blah, you knew blah, them blah. a little bit. But yeah, oh yeah, nice guys, great guys. Sure, and way nicer, better people than the fucking Ramones. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Jesus they, Christ! They make four great records in a row. No, they did not. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Offspring sold more records than them. But Pretty anyway. Cool sure that smash sold more than yeah that probably the whole freaking catalog yeah i would i would guess yeah let, hold on uh, let me let me put this into some order for everybody so on the on the digits third album hornet pinata they had a song called kill boy powerhead kill boy powerhead and i believe He's that on. noodles or whatever his name is from the offspring they heard it they didn't know who you guys were is what i hear but they decided they wanted to cover it on the next album and little did anybody know that that album Smash was going to become a freaking huge hit, right? I mean, that sold so millions, like right? Copies. Correct. That sold millions. One, of, one so, of the albums that really ushered in the like '90s era of like punk becoming popular again. Yeah. And and, punk and, rock, honestly, and it kind of ruined. Well, I was going to say overall, it might have not been particularly good for the movement. No. But you know, Dookie and Smash and maybe like. Rancids and Out Come the Wolves. I mean, those ushered in a new commercial era of, of punk rock, definitely. Yeah, and so and so the digits, or you specifically, Rick, because you wrote the song, so that meant that you had a song on a huge uh, popular album, huge. so you were getting royalties from that, I assume. Yes, I, gave royal, I was getting royalties, and I was also paying the other guys in the band, and I paid, like, I was like paying the guy that did our record jackets and him a, a wad of dough paid paid todd a wad of dough just because he was in the freaking band at one point and he did you, you were the sole, you were the sole writer did you have sole authorship of the song yeah me and doug did oh you and doug okay and um so, sort of anyway it's a long story. But so, well, well, how does someone like that work? Do they do they buy rights to the song, or do they like every version, every every album they sell, they have to send you a check? Like, how does that whole thing work? Yes, every every album they sell, they have to pay me six and a half cents, six point six 
cents for every album they sold. Nice. And they sold how many? Uh, like around fourteen million. Or something oh, like stop that. it! Stop it! <laughs> oh my god! Oh my wow! Congratulations, man! So, Congratulations! So, yes. So that's that all played into the Gaza strippers thing because you know the guy the the offspring money bought our van the offspring money made it so I didn't have to actually have a job I could go out and make no money with the Gaza strippers and and all that stuff. Anyway. Well, the great thing is you know if you listen to the you know maybe at the end uh, we're gonna play a Gaza stripper song here pretty soon maybe at the end we'll play Killboy Powerhead because a lot of people know this song and the fact of the matter is they really didn't do much with it. I mean, it's almost, it's not like they reinterpreted it. It's straight up their sound and, and listening back to the, to your albums, the sense of humor and all that. I mean, they're, they're, you guys are kindred spirits. If they didn't either your kindred spirits or they borrowed very heavily from you guys. So it was, I mean, you deserve whatever you get from this as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, I, I, I never felt, I mean, you know, anybody can take anybody's song and they can play it do sure. what they want with it essentially yeah. um and but they just got to pay you yeah. so it wasn't like i was like this this version isn't good enough and oh they should have asked me and i'm insulted you know i no no yeah. i could have gave two shits because almost every digits record we we had someone else's song that we covered yeah. and yes sure. that was all part of the punk rock game as far as i was concerned um yeah. so that was that was all fine but I think what happened, if there's a guy, his name was Alan, and he was in Clawhammer in California. I think he was at the session where they were they were driving down the car and they played this cassette, the digits cassette. And they were like, and Alan was like, you should play, you guys should cover this one. They were looking for like one last song to put on their record to make it a full record. And they were like, oh, that voice, the voice is so sounds like Dexter, you know, that's that's perfectly in his range and stuff like that, yada yada yada. So then they put it on, and little did they know that it was going to, as, as Neil said, that it was going to sell a bazillion copies. Because had they known that, they probably would have not put the damn thing <laughs> yeah, on there. Yeah, for sure. They just recorded some <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah, they would have wrote a cheaper put a B-side. Song. Yeah, put a B-side on there. Yeah. They, they could have put Pretty Fly for a White Guy on there. Oh, Jesus. For several years later. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Well, dude, talk about it. that. That's like you won the freaking lottery then. I mean, that. Oh, yeah. <sighs> damn. Well, it's it's funny, too, because they just, you know, that, that I still, I will stand by that Smash album. I think it's a pretty solid album all the way through. But, man, I couldn't get into anything they did after that. It's like they kind of captured lightning in a bottle. On That's because that there's album. no digits covers and any of the stuff. One, your song was one twelfth of the magic of that album. Yeah, no, listen, it was good. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, that I, I had a bad attitude about that. I don't even know if it was a resurgence of punk rock as much more, as opposed to like a, a repackaging, a, a a neater packaging, and then all people. You know, going like, oh, is this is punk rock. Hey, punk rock, punk rock. And I'm like, punk rock with better marketing. No, no, no. This isn't punk rock. Go back to the shitty sounding albums in the 70s with <laughs> yeah. the people that didn't play very well. This is all very slick. Green Day, Offspring, this is really slick and played really well. And punk rock is, you know, played it's... by people that don't necessarily have a complete grasp of how to play. And, and I over, over, you know, there's a wide spectrum. It's not, a, it, not all. It's actually really funny. I was just watching a documentary on Amazon Prime yesterday. I think it's called Punk's Not Dead or something like that. Um, and they have, who's the dickhead from Pennywise? Who the hell's that? That idiot from Pennywise. 
Um, he's he's desperately trying to uh, defend the whole um, Warp Tour thing, and the, all those all those punk bands selling out punk bands in in inverted commas, um, all those bands selling out. And he's trying to defend it, saying, "Well, everybody uh, supports corporations in one way or another. You know, you go out of your house and you buy a hot dog, and that's supporting a corporation." And then they interview freaking Dick from the Subhumans and Charlie Harper from the UK Subs, and they're just like, "No." This guy's just talking complete bullshit. So it was just kind of it was just kind of funny seeing the, that dichotomy right there. But meanwhile, the, uh, those bands all play together now because no, well, I don't think they do. I don't think the, nah, I don't think the like, sub- you, listen. You go to Rebellion Fest, your old man Geezer Punk Festival in in England. You know there'll be there'll be bands like maybe not Pennywise, but Won't those be, type yeah. of bands playing side by side with bands like the UK Subs. Well, I don't think I don't think Pennywise are playing the Subterranean in Chicago for like ten dollars or whatever. So yeah, yeah. true. Hey, fuck, fuck, they're playing, pe- at, fuck, the you know for, they're fuck, playing at the House of Blues for 50 bucks. Fuck Pennywise. How's that? <laughs> the clown, too. Yeah, yeah. All, yeah. all of them. All of them, see? Um, so where the hell right. are we? I'm completely... Oh, yeah, right, so... Let's, let's focus back on our... Focus back on our guests here, so we can so we can go have his nap. You know, Mr. Sims. No, I'm am okay. I took a little nap there while you guys were hashing it out. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I I have to ask. Hey Rick, on on Discogs, it says that you did something with Fred Schneider from the P52s. What what exactly was that about? Um. Well, I did a, a solo record with him. I Steve Albini again. Boo. The guy you, yeah. Your your best friend. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> Don't call him a producer. He uh, he was in charge of putting he he was with uh, I don't know how it happened but anyway she Steve was up for producing this record and he, and he was uh, also in charge of getting together the bands or the the backing musicians for Fred's solo record so he found um, Shadowy Man Shadowy Planet I forget the other band and he was then supposed to put together another band of just a bunch of people that were from different areas. So he got me and Russell Simmons, a bass player from Tar, and um, another guitar player, Chris, who I can't remember what band he was in. And uh, these three units recorded with Fred Schneider and then they to make the record. And after the record went out uh, was released, we went on a tour. He wanted to put together a touring band so they could tour. So then we went and... Um, toured like we went to belgium and toured the states for a little while and yada yada yada. and so i made a made a um video for mtv and um was that the monster in my pants song was that that one no no okay good it was bulldozer okay and uh but i think we ended up having to play monster in my pants live oh lordy lordy <laughs> so what are we talking? I missed that. Boy, I totally missed that. Is 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 this is this after Garza Strippers or before? I think it was before. Okay. I'm not sure exact timeline. Okay. I'm not exactly sure the exact timeline, but I know we recorded in Brooklyn, and yeah, and it was a lot of damn fun. I met a lot of crazy. It was a kind of a crazy thing. We played London once and. Apparently, during Monster no, or something, I forget the name of the damn song. Anyway, John McEnroe shows up and hey, says, Macca. "Hey, I'm going to I'm going to uh, play guitar. Can you teach me how to play?" Uh, I think it was Monster, and I was like, "Okay, sure, yeah." 
So I end up teaching him how to play guitar. I remember one of the other great stories about this was that we were recording. We were getting ready to go on tour. We were rehearsing in Chicago. And we're like, oh, Sean Lennon's band is in town. They they want us to go out and have some dinner. And Fred, because Fred is friends, and then we'll go out to dinner. And I had dinner with Yoko Ono that night. Holy so shit. Like, nice. <laughs> How was she? Was I thought she... you were going to say that you're like, I thought you were going to tell you, you told John Mack and we're like, yeah, I'll be more than happy to show you that song, but I need a little help on my serve. <laughs> you didn't swap him for tennis uh, whatever. So how, yeah, Yoko Ono huh? how was Yoko was, was she cool she or was, was she cool. I, after the was Ramones she? deal though I was not going to get involved in a conversation with her uh, I was just I, I thanked her for dinner and that was it and she was like very nice and so last I thing I wanted to do was dinner and not singing yeah. hey listen <laughs> knock it off <laughs> Neil's afraid of the, the Yoko. Hey, I tell you what, on 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 she's some... very powerful in Liverpool. If, yeah, it, if yes. that is in don't, fact, yeah, where don't from. don't be don't be dissing John. What are you doing? <laughs> and I then I ended up taking Sean out to the goddamn lounge acts in my Saturn, and we go to the lounge acts. And well, he didn't have a town car or something. What the heck? Oh, and he's fucking going. He won't shut up, man. That dude was just like a mile a minute. I don't know if he's on speed. And we show up, and fucking Wayne Kramer from the MC5 is playing. There's no one there. And I'm, like, walk up to the front of the stage, and here I am. It was, like, the best rock and roll night of my life. I could not fucking believe it. Yoko Ono, like the best dude. I've never never talked to him, but I've seen the, like, MC50 revival thing he's got going, and he's he's the best. I love that dude. Yeah, I played with him when they came to Chicago. Did a song with him. Yeah. It was fun. Like, which one? Call Me Animal? I figured. For those who don't yeah. know, you guys covered the digits covered "Call Me Animal," right? It was on, it was on the Pinata one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah "Call Me Pinata. Animal." Yeah. yeah. Cool. So where are we, Neil? Where um, are we at? But did we did we play? We play? Gaza, should, we, should we do a Gaza stripper song and yeah. then come back? Maybe catch up. You know, and then he can quickly go through the last twenty years of his life and love. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> play play a Gaza stripper song, somebody. Not, which... we're not as interested in the last twenty years, but you know, we gotta let the dude off the hook at some point. So. Yeah. What so guys a stripper song are we playing? Do we want to yeah. Play? I'm Is asking it... you. Yes, and me? Yes. The Suicide Lovers? Suicide Lovers, yes. So Which which album is that from? From the desk of Dr. Free Pill. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's the last one. <laughs> yes, so this is the Gaza Strippers with uh what is it? I'm a lover, what? The Suicide <laughs> Lovers. Jesus. <laughs> Come on, man. Suicide lovers. Suicide lovers from the Gaza Strippers. Here you go. Enjoy it, everybody. I'm sure it's going to be a fine time.
There you go. Gaza Strippers, Suicide Lovers, great song. Um, so, all those stories so, so, you... Okay, oh, hold, so, on, hold on, hold on a second, hold on a second. I've got a very important question here. Very important question. <laughs> so, so this, I'm, I'm glad I asked about the Fred Schneider thing. Is it about McWilson? No, it's not about McFucking Wilson. Um... <laughs> You know, glad, I've never I'm, hit on your wife. I'm glad I asked the Fred Schneider thing because we got lots of all, lots of name drops there. But which was more important to you? Was it meeting those people or getting on Beavis and Butthead? Oh wow! You know, I, they're all my babies. Mm-hmm. You know, I I have a special place in my heart for all of my big moments. Yeah, because that because um, that that was a damn good one, man. So for those who don't know, okay, uh, so yeah, I'll say catch us up a little bit on that. Neil. So I mean, hopefully everyone is old enough li- uh, listening to this that they saw Beavis and Butthead at one point on MTV. So you know, sometimes they would review videos that came on, and um, who came on one time? But the Digits singing "Judge the Hot Fudge," right, as off one of your last albums, I believe, right? Was yeah, that last one. It, Judge Hot Fudge off of Case or Hans or Han. Yeah, and. Um, I believe Beavis says that you look like Colonel Sanders. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I probably like being on... I, I love the exposure and all that stuff, but they did throw a little shade my way, so maybe I like the Yoko story better yes. because of that. I think the classic quote well, is, I think the classic quote is, what's with these guys? There's these longer-haired guys, and then there's this guy in a dork outfit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, Kip Winger swears that, that Beavis and Butthead destroyed Winger's career. So do you think that was what killed the digits? Yeah, yeah maybe Butthead? it was. Or were you guys no, already done? That, that, that was all, I mean, there was no way to, there's no way to go down at that point. You know, there was, we didn't have very far to fall. Whereas Winger, <laughs> you know, they were on top were of the world huge. probably at yeah. one point. Yeah. Dude played bass um, for Alice Cooper. He didn't deserve such a poor fate. Yeah. All I got to say is, look, Beavis and fucking Butthead. Have you ever heard of Cheap Trick? Look at those guys. Yeah. Talk about the, the guys with long hair and the dork outfits. I feel <laughs> like that was a goddamn compliment. Thank you very much. Of course it was. Because I can buy it honestly. My other, Any publicity is good publicity. Uh, yeah, that's right. With my Illinois boys, man, you know, we know so, it's, uh, you know, rock and roll. So does the Offspring record still sell? That's my, that's my question. I mean, is there still, you still get a quarterly check from, from yes. the Offspring. Yes, and, and it's obviously not what it once was. But I mean, and I'm and I and I'm not going to ask you specific figures. But I mean, is it like go out to Applebee's money? Is it make a car payment money? Is it? I mean, is it? It's not life changing, I assume, at this point. Yeah, it's about a grand a year. Or so, oh, I'd take a grand a year. I wasn't going to ask you that specifically, but if you want to give it to me that specifically, that's cool. And you must you must have some a little bit coming in from the Super Suckers record, I assume, or is that pretty much from a good BMI? Song? From BMI, but the this, this, the sub pop thing from the Super Suckers record that that thing probably still hasn't recouped. You know, I mean, they, they oh, threw so much money at it that there's not. I don't even get. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's it's graft or a corruption or whatever going on at sub pop, but they don't send me jack as far as like. Um, so what you, you need know, is still green, get, you need Green Day to cover like one of the Super Sucker songs that you wrote from that record. That's what you need. Yes. Or maybe but, Taylor Swift or somebody. But it would still somebody take really like forever for them to recoup, and then I would get some money. For the <laughs> well, we've heard day. this. We we haven't we haven't interviewed a ton of people, or we haven't talked to a ton of people on the show. But I get the feeling this is going to be a recurring theme because we did hear it from the last guy we talked to too that this a record from 1993 that they keep repressing supposedly has never recouped its, you know, recouped its recording cost, which was probably like 500 bucks back in those days. So. <laughs> 
but <laughs> that was uh, that, that was BA from Sloppy Seconds, right? On talking about yeah, Tang records yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Tang. He had a. They were t- talking about Tang records, but I, it's all these. It's just so the bookkeeping. It seems so shady, you know. And this is not new, you know. I remember reading this book by one of the guys from the Jimi Hendrix Experience about how those guys literally never made any money. You know, there was this shady bookkeeping. You know, how many records did Jimi Hendrix sell? Millions, you know, but they never, never got any money. They give yeah, them just enough well, money to keep them high, and that, and that was it. So this is, you know, this is not something that was a recent thing. But I think now the record business being so poor, I think it's actually much more honest. No, nah. because there's no. Um, you don't well, think so? Well, it's still bad. No, I think it's all it's scummy. Um, I think what's happening now is that look record companies going to these bands saying look we'll we'll give you the money for the bus we're gonna you know take care of your social media blah 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 and um so yeah we're gonna support you get you guys going make it make a name for yourself then you go play your first gig and they're like oh yeah we need to cut of that gig money so really yeah yeah and it's like they take a percentage of every possible thing you could make it you know because usually Back in the day, your, your your gig money was sacrosanct. It was outside of the transaction between you and your record company. Where now there there's no record sales. So if they're putting money behind you, they've got to find a way to recoup get it. there. Yeah, I, I assume with somebody like Touch and Go back in the day, it's like, hey, we're gonna make a thousand records, and you're gonna get three hundred of them to sell, and that was the deal, or something simple like that. I would assume, or was it more complicated than that? Oh, it was simple. It was just, it was. Touch and Go was going to pick up all the cost of making the record, recording the record, et cetera, so on. And then after the cop, the costs were recouped, after those that money was made back, then you split all the money 50-50. Hmm. Well, that's that's a real solid deal as long as everybody's being honest. Yeah. So and I have, no, I have no doubt about Corey's honesty, that's for sure. I'm still getting checks from him from for his job. Really? Yeah. So they still so those records so they're not pre, they're not pressing digits records as far as I can tell anymore. They're all the I mean they're not in print. You can't go on the Touch and Go website and buy them, right? Boy, I haven't checked, but oh, okay. I, know, I, I didn't uh, think so. And I because I have it on their website looking at because I'm, I'm I'm a big negative approach fan and there's a few of those bands. I mean I love the I love the Touch and Go label. I'm a Michigan guy, you know. I just yeah. I love. Um, tell us about the Necros but, again, Tom. <laughs> repress those records i won't sleep <laughs> anyway so so what you 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 alluded to something that you get you might be working on a re- record wise you want to get into that or is well, that that well hold, is that hold, something you hold on a really second hold on a second let, right, let, let me just go back to touch and go a second i'm doing so, the time timeline jump again neil's freaking out well no i was just gonna say talking about touch and go it's perfect because you guys actually did a touch and go reunion in like 2006 right yep okay so that was who was that? that was which, blast. which, uh, which, which, which incarnation of the band was that? Oh, that was the original. That was me and Doug and Brad, my brother Brad. Okay. And how did that go? Where, where was that? Chicago or something? Yeah, it was an outdoor concert, and it was all of Touch and Go bands. So it was like Big Black and Killdozer and Laughing Hyenas. Were the Laughing Hyenas there? I think they were. That was them or Negative Approach? Because I think 2006 was when Negative Approach got back together after being apart for more than 20 years. Yeah, it might have been Negative Approach. What about like Meat Men Come Down? I don't think so. I don't think, I don't remember that. And obviously not the Necros. And you know, they are, yeah. (laughs) yeah, sorry to say, Tom. 
even though I know they did play some shows under the oh. name Sorsen. He won't which stop. Which was like a back. He won't stop. <laughs> Good God. All right. <laughs> But here, here's another little funny, little, little curly cue about the whole reunion thing is that we do the reunion, a blast. Oh, great! And me and my brother back in, we're back in good. We're solid again. Everything is going great. This is Uh-oh. wonderful. Hey, this is going to go <laughs> well. Conagra again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, everything was wonderful. You know, the uh, we were. Back in the saddle, reliving our old glory days. Everybody loved the show, and we did a show in Champagne. Everybody loved the show. We're like, man, since we did all this work, why not do a few more shows? Check it out and make a little bit of dough. So we our, we talked to our booking nation. He was going to get us some shows together. We we're thinking about it, and then my brother goes off the deep end and was like, talk, called calling up our booking agent and yelling at him and shit. And I was like, what are you doing, dude? He's like, we we never got the money. He he constantly over. So it all fell apart because once again, you know, this crazy shit that. It was a good thing, and then it just all fell apart because of. So you just did the one show. Two. What was the other one? Champagne. Yeah. Okay. And so, all the old all the old friends come out, or are they? Too oh old yeah. To at this point, oh okay. Well, you know, I, I don't remember exactly who was too old, because <laughs> I don't remember when I played digit shows. Yes, he I, doesn't remember back in the day originally, so he's got no idea. <laughs> Um, yeah, anybody I talked to after the show, I was way too drunk to possibly. No, I I don't know. But um, those were fun. You know, that was fun. But yeah, after that, it was kaput. Although my brother wants to make a new song for this this Digits Rarities uh, Greatest Hits thing we're doing. And I'm just like, oh, man, every time we try to do something, it just kind of like blows up into weirdness. So. So do you have a song? Do you have a song that's sitting around, or you'd actually write something fresh? Oh, I'd write something fresh. I don't think I have a song sitting around. Mm. So you do have and a like. So this is going to be on Touch and Go, and it's going to be what, like a greatest hits with some rarities and stuff like that on it. Yeah, it's going to be a greatest hits. Of course, we, you know it's the most subjective greatest hits in the world because there are not really any hits. It's yeah. more like an anthology, <laughs> um, in a sense just a collection of what we think people have always liked the most. Sure. And, um, Shaved Head Monkey Duster. Got... Yeah, well, that's <laughs> on the rarities. Oh, it is? Shaved Head Monkey Duster. Um, so we've got those three tapes, and some of the stuff were off those tapes. Some of the stuff was uh, from UXB. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it was me and Doug, my cousin Mike, and uh, <sighs> another guy that we... Um, the Hoover UXB and we put some stuff together. We were in the, we, there was an, one incarnation of the digits where it was me and Doug and my cousin, Mike and Dave Landis. So then, and then we went on to form UXB and we thought, well, that should be part of it too, even though it's not, wasn't necessarily the digits. Um, and I played drums in that band. Hmm. Um, hmm. And then we've got stuff from like way early that I don't know. It's, it's just interesting from like 82. So when you were doing your kiss cover band thing, no, when we were, uh, we were, um, that was, that was Chevis. Should I go into a long story about Chevis from Indicator, Illinois? Uh, no, I won't. No, that's okay. <laughs> um, Decatur, what, so, a, what a town that is. Holy shit. Yeah. It is great. It's a nice working class town of extremely racist, bigoted people. I went to see professional um, wrestling there once. That was, uh, that was quite the event. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> so that's where I, yeah, I, you know, I saw Rush in Springfield. Anyway, so I forget what the fuck I was talking about now. The greatest hits oh, thing, greatest hits and rarities so and stuff. The, double, double the, rare, the rarities, yeah, the rarities, and uh, this, we recorded it in the chicken shed on a four-track reel-to-reel player, and um, you get to hear all those that crazy shit we did in the beginning. There was one part; the digits were like good, kind of good. Then we had this other incarnation of the digits, and they were really shitty. Then we had this other incarnation, which is the historic. The, the classic version of the digits. So none of the shitty digits music will be on the rarities because it's too fucking embarrassing. Was was that Durga 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 or was that before that even? Before that. Okay. Well I, for one, look forward to hearing this. This is a ways off yet though. Yeah. It's it's just now in pre production. Okay. And you're picking the track list or the three of you are all uh, is there me, any communication between the three at this point or not really? Well, Doug has passed away. Yeah, poor old Doug. Rest in peace. Yep. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. Two, two, two or three years. Uh, two years ago now, right? Christmas. In 16. Yeah. So I guess that's four years. Shit. No, holy. It was Christmas. Years. It was Christmas, right? Just after Christmas, I think. Yeah. Um, my brother, he, he you know, I, I haven't contacted him about it. Because I try to avoid him, but uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and um, my it's not funny, Neil. This is pain, Atlantis. man. This is real painful stuff. We're like, yeah, we're we're okay. trying to work through it. Now we're not really trying to work through it. I've kind of <laughs> He's having no problem it. talking about it, so I don't think there's that much pain. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm just being a guy. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So, so anyway, mi- looking forward to that. So, Mr. Sims, tell us what you are doing now musically, because you are still involved in music. You're just in a different part of the music industry, right? Yeah. Well, I'm in theater now. Yes. In live theater. I'm a member of Licking Glass Theater Company downtown, which is based in downtown Chicago. My wife's artistic director. I'm freelance, though. I work all over the place. I work at Steppenwolf, Goodman, uh, American Blue, all, all, all there's a million theater companies in town. I, I go all to all these places and I'm a composer for live theater. Um, so I'm composing all different kinds of music, classical music, um, uh, ethnic, whatever ethnic, if we need ethnic music. Um, geez, I'm trying to think of the last thing I composed was like, I did a, a surf score. Um, so I'm composing all this incidental music for, you know, it's like Danny Elfman for yeah. live theater. Wow, he just compared seems himself very, to Danny Elfman. Do you hear that? He compared himself that to Danny Elfman. Challenging for an old punk rocker. I'm way better than Danny Elfman did. So. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> waiting for that first Grammy or whatever the hell they get. Um, I I do have to say though, um, I think I told you this. I saw that Buddy Holly thing that you that you helped put together a couple years ago, and uh, that was fantastic. So that's great. Yeah, that's it's a off. jukebox musical they call it. So yeah. I didn't I didn't write anything for that, of course, but I did make sure all the microphones sounded right. So I do that too. That I mean that was that was stuff. that was an amazing show. That was really really fun. So I went to see it two or three times actually. So yeah, well those guys are good musicians. They are. And yeah. um, so yeah, that's what I'm doing, man. You know, and uh, 
like I said, I do the musicals where it's like, okay, you're in charge of getting the microphones together and getting the mixer going. And then I do this other thing where it's like, okay, we need the sound of a, a thunderstorm and we, then we need the sound of a car crash and the sound of a city. So I put all those sounds together to, hmm. you know, to make it. And then, then I also compose too. If we need it like, okay, we're going to another scene we need to black out the stage so we can bring on new scenery. I need to make a little bit of music for people to listen to while things are happening. So See? take, take that. So you might only, you might only use it a few times and then it's sort of lost in the ether or do you keep track of the stuff and you re recycle it later? Or? Well, I tried, I have a, there's a website called audio jungle and okay. last time I'll go like, well, this is just, I'm just might as well throw this in the trash. Well, rather than do that, we'll see if somebody wants to buy a duty, not duty to use free. it for the same to use it for the same kind of thing. Well, maybe who knows what they use it for. They, they could use it for whatever they wanted. They, they don't, you never find out what people use it for, but, um, <clears throat> a lot of times it's like, it's like for background like, music for back, background music for like German scat films. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> oh, for this podcast. Yeah. Give us something, give us something <laughs> free there, Sims. <laughs> But that's yeah, that's well, cool that you've been able to kind of stay in the in the creative game. I mean, I'm I'm sure your brother's got you know a pension from Farmco, but you've had a much more <laughs> rich, rich life. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean the the thing that you, we, we didn't the thing I didn't say this whole time and like in, in 1991 I started actually working in theater, but okay. very very uh, rarely, but enough to where after I got after the Gossip Strippers I was able to go like. Oh hey everybody! I'm a theater composer because look, I did that show and that show. I I performed in three theater shows in in town in these like rock musicals, so I could claim that. So when I got when rock and roll touring in the van all that shit was over, I could just go like, oh, I'm printing up some cards, and yeah, I'm in theater. Which and musicals were you in? Uh, there the, was a show the called Wiz? Up Against It. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Um, <laughs> oh, there's got to be a McWilson joke here somewhere. Um, anyway, look, you're a serious musician now, all right? You're a composer, so take that Beavis and Butthead, right? Take that Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, fuck those guys. Yeah, fuck those guys. Yeah, they're long off the air. Yeah, yeah long no off shit. the air. Yeah. For, for, you, for you Liverpool dudes... Uh, dude, I did a show at Looking Glass called Up Against It, okay. and it was written by Joe Orton. Joe Orton, yeah. Joe... I know Joe yeah. Orton, yeah. It, he wrote it for the Beatles, mm -hmm. and they turned it down, and he went on vacation with his lover. He was murdered by his lover. In the meantime, the, the uh, Beatles decided to do the show, do the script, and then they couldn't because... They couldn't get the rights because he had been killed. Hmm. And we did that. That would have been that would have been really appropriate if, if Neil was actually from Liverpool and not just some made up backstory. Some some uh, fake accent. You guys, <laughs> yeah. you got you guys actually played Liverpool, didn't you? You played the warehouse, I believe. Oh my God! What was that place? It was like yep. I think we walk into the bathroom. There was like three inches of water on the floor. It was uh, crazy. It was it was. I remember that being one of the worst places I've ever played in my life. Excellent. I we're proud of that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a video of that performance, believe it or not, if you haven't been on YouTube. Oh, really? Yep. Yes, sir. 
Yeah, and I need to get all that shit from YouTube. And dude, if you want, if you want a real laugh, you should go and uh, go on YouTube and look up Digit's Killboy Powerhead and see some of the comments in the comments section by like pissed off Offspring fans who were just finding out now that oh, they, they didn't. Totally ripped this song off. The, yep, exactly. It is hysterical. Well, who oh, recorded really? this first? Yep, who recorded this first? I think the Offspring recorded this. You know nonsense like that so <laughs> well, that, that, amazing yeah, for people who think the offspring are the clash i suppose that would be true yeah oh my but, god <clears throat> that sounds I, like those would be some good uh comments to put in the uh into the rarities yes inner sleep exactly <laughs> exactly you know I, I must say i must say guys we have actually gone so long that i have run out of time <laughs> <laughs> which is yeah. amazing usually the usually you know the guests would be like hey listen listen losers i gotta go i've had enough of you guys but uh yeah, unfortunately, I got to wrap it up. All right. Well, do you yeah. have any? Uh, do, do you have any other stuff uh, you want to uh, plug? I got to tell you, man. I I, uh, I wish you had a little more insight into into a young Neil's love life. Oh, for but other God's than that, sakes, man! man. Uh, you've been an excellent guest. We really appreciate uh, your your candor and uh, the history of your band, which I think is actually super interesting because you you kind of I don't know. It's just it's it's a good story. I, I like the whole story. No oh, thanks, you're man. Still writing it. You're still writing it, obviously, but. Yes. Sort of. The there's ups, there's there's anyway. ups, there's downs, there's music. It's like that, a Broadway that's our musical. Audience, though, honestly, we pretty much put this show together to strictly like appeal to the old, the old man. <laughs> if we ever do advertising, it's going to be for like Buicks and Viagra. Yes, and so. well, just so you know, I'm still punk, and I will be until I die. Well, there you go. Well, see, we were originally going to call the show "Posers Till We Die," but it just didn't have the same ring to it. So. No, what were yeah, we, no. Tom? Tell him what what we were going to call it originally. Oh, it's originally called Old Men Shouting at Clouds. It was like a reference to a Simpsons episode, but <laughs> believe it or not, somebody already had that name. So, oh, it's too bad. It's like a, just a last-minute thing, but now we're you know it's going to be a full lifestyle brand here eventually. The yeah. Punk Till yeah. I Die lifestyle brand, because when you think lager, when you think a satisfying, crisp, refreshing lager, <laughs> you think Punk Till I Die lager. Yes, you know. Take well, it, take it with your Metamucil. It'll be great. I might be fifty. I might be over fifty, but I've still got my mohawk. That's all I'm saying. There you go. That's a hideous That's thought, good. Rick. That's terrible. <laughs> Dude, is there anything all else right. you want? Anything else you want to plug or anything like? Do you have any shows coming up or anything? Uh, no. Okay, I, okay. I not not personal shows. No. Okay. But no, I I just want I just want to go pee, man. Okay. Well, you go you go take <laughs> care of that. Yeah. Well, that's excellent timing. You know, I got and you got to pee, so. You know, we're old and our prostates aren't what they used to be, so... Uh... Well, they're twice what they used to be, my friend. They're twice what they used to oh, be. Oh, that's right. That's that's a good call. But, yeah, thanks again, Rick. It was a pleasure yep. to meet you, and uh, we appreciate you coming on. Yep. Yeah, man. Thank you, guys. Cheers, mate. Maybe I'll see you in Evanston. I'll buy you pints at the uh, Celtic Knot. I'm there, I'm, there, I'm there most Saturdays, so just stop in. Oh, really? I was just there on Valentine's Day. Had I had the salmon. It was delicious. It, the food there is excellent. Yeah, it really I enjoyed is. It. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Say hello to Patrick for me. <laughs> All right, buddy. Oh my god! Thanks for doing All this. Right, I man. really appreciate it. I think this has been fun, and hopefully, some of this recorded and <laughs> didn't really wipe yeah. out. I'm not doing it again, Neil. <laughs> yeah, we're almost two hours. This is crazy. This is epic. But it was it was very good. It went fast. I... Yeah, and to tell you what, I am going to end this episode with I am going to play the song that we've all been talking about, uh, Killboy Powerhead, the original by the Digits. Offspring fans, don't get upset because they did not write it. So, Killboy Powerhead by the Digits. Um, thanks, everybody. And uh, thanks, Rick. And thanks for All coming right, on. Thanks for your time. And, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll chat again soon, okay? All right. 
All right. See you later. Right. Yep, later. yep. Stay free, everybody. Bye. Bye bye. He's a piece of shit, man.